You clicked the cord, Earl. Yep. Cool. Yeah, we're back again with uh, Star Mindset's podcast. Uh, amazing guest today. I've known this guy for quite a while now. Um, uh, we met at Berkeley Skydeck, uh, sat directly across from him. Um, this is Prashanth. Uh, have a hard time pronouncing his last name, but he runs a very amazing company called Last Bit. And they're in the intersection of the crypto peer-to-peer um, uh, world. And uh, yeah, I would love to you know, introduce Prashanth to the show. So Prashanth, it's great to catch up and have you here. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me, Dan. All good. All good. Things could be a little bit better in India with the pandemic, but outside of that, work's going well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, just a great way to to, to start the talk conversation is uh, how, how did, uh, or what, what is last bit um, since, since we, I guess, last, uh, or since I last uh, kind of like heard about you guys and like, what are you guys doing um, now? Well, yeah. Uh, since the last time we spoke, last bit is now live compared to when we met the last time around. Like we've been, yeah. we'd worked for quite some time trying to get the product up and running and like going live. And we faced a whole bunch of difficulties uh, going live specifically with regards to working with banks and financial institutions uh, and the pandemic didn't help on that front. But to take a step back and like what the company actually is, is uh, what we're trying to build is a global payment system where anyone anywhere can pay or get paid instantly and for low fees. All of this stuff is built on top of this thing called uh, the Bitcoin Lightning Network, which is effectively a way of being able to settle Bitcoin transactions instantly. And our our thesis is if we can settle Bitcoin transactions instantly and plug this into fiat currencies like the euros uh, and US dollars of the world, we should therefore be able to settle transactions across borders instantly and for low fees as well. Uh, And that's pretty much where we are today. For sure. What did what did you guys originally say the the problem you guys were solving was just like peer to peer exchange of uh, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin in in a specific? Um, so the original problem was something that I personally faced, which was basically like moving money across borders. Uh, and that kind of I mean, the idea evolved a little bit into something that was like we we initially did start with like a hardware device that turned into like us trying to build a software version of the, the exact same hardware device, which was basically a mobile app. Uh, and now it's now we're effectively like we, we put out the mobile app and it's live. Uh, and the next step is to actually build out this thing across multiple borders and uh, kind of evolve this into uh, a business make, I mean, a business product as well. I think, you know, just doing a little research into the company, it was uh, the, the problem you, you've kind of realized it was a problem when you were in Switzerland, right? And you're trying to, I guess, pay in, uh, what was it like? euros and, and or they didn't they didn't take the money or something and then that's kind of like where you you thought like oh but you know bitcoin's a, the solution with with uh with you know global payments and then cross-border payments yeah pretty much exactly that like so uh, i mean i went to i went to switzerland for grad school and i'd been studying in india prior to that uh and so when and I'd been working with Bitcoin for a few years at that point already as well. So like when I went to Switzerland and I tried to pay my intuition for like as soon as you get there you got to pay your tuition and uh, I was new in the country and I was basically an immigrant and uh, getting access to like the most basic banking like just open a regular bank account to put in some money and like pay tuition was super super hard uh, and and like Bitcoin was the obvious solution there right it promised to be this universal global decentralized currency uh, and I end up actually moving money from like India to Switzerland using Bitcoin and practically like after a bunch of time that kind of evolved into like hey to make this thing a full-time company and that's kind of where we are that's awesome yeah yeah uh how does it work today so it's in europe right so if i was in a european you know citizen and then i was a user of last bit do i like uh, have an app on my phone and i just 
if they wanted to either pay for something with, uh, you know, Ethereum or, you know, Bitcoin particularly, like would I, what is it just like the Apple wallet or like, can you describe the product uh, in more uh, detail here? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so the product today is kind of like a, a tiny fragment of what we imagine the whole thing to be. Uh, and this is like, so today we have these two mobile applications live. So one is powered by MasterCard and, and a bank behind it. And the other one is powered by Bitcoin exchange. The idea is that uh, what we're trying to prove is that you can settle transactions between two completely unrelated financial institutions in two different countries using the Bitcoin network instantly and for low fees. So basically, like if you, if I was a user of a MasterCard in, let's say, Lithuania, and you were using this other app that's powered by Bitcoin exchange in, let's say, Switzerland or like Germany or something, we can settle transactions between these two completely unrelated institutions just by making like one, like I just scan a QR code, which is technically like this Bitcoin Lightning Network invoice. And what's actually happening is fiat currency gets converted to Bitcoin, paid over the Lightning Network and converted back into fiat currency. Wow, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, that's I guess, Prasad, good question. Like, what, what is the uh, main, uh, I guess, verticals that you guys are attacking now? Because uh, I guess this notion of settlement across borders, you know, um, has been has been talked about for a while. I mean, uh, Western Union's uh, old company, but obviously with the new technology, uh, there's a lot more possibilities. But uh, are you attacking, let's say, this education market of settling cross-border with you know tuition fees or it's more of a consumer side where let's say if you're you know somewhere else you want to send money to your you know loved ones somewhere else you can at least load up let's say a, a mastercard uh you know um, wallet or something yeah uh so for, for us like our, our our target segment are like i think the place that we can play in like exercise of strengths is specifically the business segment where fintech companies uh, such as ourselves that want to start like dipping their toes into the crypto world or just being able to do like easier and cheaper and faster global money transfers like maybe a company in the US paying employees in, uh, in, in some other country or maybe a, a company that wants to build a consumer app that wants to set like that's like a remittance app between the US and Africa or something like that like all of these companies are the like the ideal target customer for us. Um, and you're absolutely right, right? Like the cross-border money transfers has historically been a massive problem. Like I was just reading an article today that said uh, like Western Union has been playing the space for over 150 years, like in, yeah. in, in the space of, which is pretty massive, right? I mean, and, you, and, and there's still like a huge, huge opportunity for building something better and cheaper and faster than Western Union. Like obviously like the idea is not to, I mean, it's a pretty massive market and the idea is not to, like displace the incumbent, but it's like stake a very specific, tiny problem uh, or take a tiny segment of the market and solve the problem for that. So like, like back when Bitcoin and like, like all of this blockchain stuff was like all the hype a few years ago, like one of the biggest use cases and like one of the biggest things that people were talking about was cross-border transfers and the way like blockchain can revolutionize the way money's moved across the world and whatnot. But uh, many, like many companies came up and died during that period. And like, I guess two, two or three of the surviving ones are, uh, are the ones like, like Ripple and Facebook's Libra and, and these kind of companies, but even they've run up against massive regulatory scrutiny just because of the fact that they kind of ended up inventing their own coin and token. And, uh, and that obviously likes like creating a new currency. I mean, so there's, there's been like a lot of ups and downs in the space, but like, I think now that the space is a bit more mature and things have evolved where like regulators and banks and, uh, other like law enforcement agencies are more comfortable with the idea that like crypto is here to stay and uh, it can do good things if regulated the right way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you know last year with uh, I guess the pandemic we we saw the rise in prices of uh, each each you know cryptocurrency and most recently Dogecoin. Um, you know the, <laughs> the, the crazy stuff that's happened with that. Um, 
how do you feel about that um with uh you know your company being like uh in a huge pla- or you know a real place for for exchange to happen like do you think that there should be more regulations with uh, the cryptocurrency and like do you think that there should be like i mean just uh by more regulation i mean um just more oversight and like you know management by i guess like the government but i guess that's pretty pretty hard to do in in, in general so like what do you what do you what's your take on you know the rise in, in prices and is that a good thing for the everyday person well i i, I mean that's a that's a complex debate but like in, sure. in short the rise in prices it's if you if you honestly look at it it is sort of unjustified i mean there, there was no like significant event that kind of like justified like why bitcoin should have gone up by like 30 or 40x and again that's something other people can argue against or for and like for us as a company the price of bitcoin is pretty much irrelevant given like all we care about are like the inherent intrinsic properties of bitcoin as a network and not its price as compared to the like to a fiat currency just like because we settle it instantly so personally for me i mean uh i mean the, the price is always gonna i mean you, you've seen this happen over the last 10 years like it's it's, it's it's a roller coaster, right? And it's going to keep happening for a while until there's like something that gives it like true, real, meaningful world usage that kind of justifies its value. But uh, in, in regards to the question about regulations, I think there's definitely, I mean, there's there's significant room for improvement there, and there's a lot that needs to be done. Like, and by regulation, I mean just more definition around the space, such that it's clearer for companies to that want to enter the space and like what they can and can't do. Right now, like a lot of stuff is in, in the weird gray area. And like if a company like even if a, like if you as a business just wanted to hold crypto on your on your balance sheet like you really don't know what the implications of that are like do you become like a crypto holding company do you, do you have to pay taxes on that like what can you pay employees in bitcoin and get away with like not paying capital gains taxes but like a whole bunch of like different questions like and what i really wish to see or like i think is going to happen at least the next few years is like there's like regulators providing more definition around like what can and can't be done with uh, crypto assets and i think that's definitely like a good thing for the space yeah yeah that's, that's definitely interesting uh you know switching gears a little bit um just you know i remember sitting across from you and then uh in the, you know berkeley skydeck and kind of watching some of the stuff happen uh, in front of me but the screen was turned away from me so i didn't really know what was happening man. But, but but in your in your opinion how hard was it to to build like this whole software and like your guys's product i mean it's, it doesn't seem you know, traditional software would just be like coding, right? But like this, this involves like fintech and like you know the blockchain. How hard was it to build um, uh, over the last couple of years, just from from scratch? Um, I think the earlier years were like really hard compared to how it is now. Like we've, as a team, we've gotten really, really good at building building products, shipping products, and throwing them away when they're useless. Uh, the the hardest part for us, I think, was actually not not entirely just the technology, but uh, actually like putting the thing live. Like I said, like back when we were working at Skydeck, uh, like we actually had a working version of the entire thing. Like it actually worked, but it was like fake Bitcoin like, or like testnet Bitcoin, right? It's, it's kind of worthless, but it kind of demonstrated like all of the things you could do, but we couldn't actually make it work with real money in the real world because of the fact that we like, we were a small company. We didn't have enough money to go get our own licenses and like, and play with the big players like the banks and like get deals with them and stuff like that. But so that kind of stuff took a lot more effort than we had anticipated. And that may partly also be due to the, the shortcomings of the team, as in the fact that we're all mostly engineers, but uh, and, and we lack like this banking background. But like now we've gained significant expertise in both areas too. And that's why it's like it's it's gotten easier over time, but like in the early days it was a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. And uh I guess uh you know what what's happened since like significantly, like since uh like late late twenty nineteen, like has it been, you know, you got first customers or has it been um 
I guess the YC stuff, right? Right. Like, like raising some money too has, has uh, changed the trajectory. Like what? What's been uh, like the big? Uh, what do you call that? Accomplishment or like the big thing that you guys have like overcome? Big milestone, yeah. I mean, a major yeah. milestone that you've achieved. Um, so for us, like one of the biggest milestones was actually going live with the product. Like today, we have thousands of users that are using this, we're processing hundreds of thousands of dollars in transactions. Uh, like so, like the products are growing, and like it's kind of going in a pretty good direction. Uh, and the company is always learning, like talking to users, and like that's probably been one of the biggest milestones. And like, of course, smaller milestones are like fundraising, but uh, I mean, that was kind of like a natural event. Like if, if the company did well, like people want to invest, and that's kind of the way it went. Fundraising and, and of course, Y Combinator was like more like a huge milestone for the company in itself and like also a personal thing for me. But uh, yeah, I think those are like some of the significant ones. For sure. You got, you got a question, Earl? No, I mean, we would love to hear about like, you know, your thoughts on or advice on people that are, you know, number one, maybe going through when you think about accelerators, right? Like, how, how did you think about going to, you know, the accelerators you went to? And another one is, Related to that is, you know, um, any advice on someone approaching fundraising? Because as a startup uh, founder, entrepreneur, or even someone that is even thinking about doing a startup, that seems to be the one of the most daunting things uh, to think about. So maybe advice on joining accelerators and general fundraising, you know, advice to people, you know, um, how do you handle those? Yeah, uh, so regarding accelerators, I mean, like I, we've made, we've been through... We've been to four of them at this point, which is pretty insane. Like looking at the, oh, awesome. of the company. <laughs> I mean, that's also because the company has done a lot of stuff. Like, like I said, we started with hardware first, and uh, for, for me, it was like I, I kind of looked at Accelerator in the beginning, like kind of like college. Like, it's like yeah, I know what the company looks like and how to like what it should look like and how to build the product. But like, what about the other stuff? Like, who's going to teach me how to like build? Uh, I mean, build something that can be shipped for like thousands of users at scale. Like, how do you set up a hardware manufacturing line? Like, how do you ship hardware stuff like this right so that was kind of the reason we went through uh, our very first hardware accelerators and then as the company changed focus to building software uh like static really helped us get to silicon valley where like that's when we really really learned what it takes to build like a massive venture scale business and like kind of like all of the stuff that goes into it compared to the other parts of the world um so i guess if, if you're a new if especially if you're a first-time founder and you're looking to build like whether it's a hardware or a software company, like Silicon Valley is the place to be. And uh, if you haven't already applied to YC, like I, I, that's like one of the biggest things. I just really wish that we had applied to YC on day one, as opposed to like wait three years to do it. Um, because like the value that you get out of it, like even as a, like, if, I, if I was to start another company, I would most likely apply to YC again, just because of the fact that it was one hell of an experience where like both me and my co-founder, like uh, my, my co-founder is this guy who graduated from Berkeley Haas with an MBA and uh, worked in consulting and McKinsey and like has this fantastic resume. But like both of us, grew as individuals and we just learned so much about like how the company should grow and like what to focus on and what to build and it really gives us a lot of direction uh that's like one of the biggest like plus points of going through an accelerator it teaches you a lot of stuff that you think you know but you probably don't know that well uh and the second one is of course exposure to fundraising uh i mean and re regarding fundraising like i guess some something from our journey is the fact that like that back in in, in the first year of the startup like we, we really valued fundraising as a massive milestone like uh, but now it's mostly like a commodity. Like anybody can raise money. Like raising money is pretty simple as long as you have solid idea and, and, and I mean, as long as you're a committed founder, like you can prove that you're, you're a guy that's like willing to put the hard work and the effort that takes into like building a company. People will want to invest at the end of the day. Like in the early days, it's all about. I mean, it's mostly about the founder, and not about your idea. So that's not the hard part. Uh, it's really about like actually putting that money into effect and like using it to do things because like 
if you look at the fundraising landscape, like any and anybody and everybody can raise like a ton of money these days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great to, you know, follow that journey from, uh, I guess, like two years ago to now. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, so I guess what I see was like, it was, um, it was virtual, right? You, you did the, the, the everything that was virtual, right? Um, mm -hmm. How, how do you right. compare and contrast, like, I guess, with Skydex, like in-person stuff compared to OIC virtual uh, accelerator? Like, um, do you think like there was uh, uh, things that that were just uh, incomplete or like different from, or I, I guess just how do you describe your, your virtual experience compared, like a virtual accelerator experience compared to like a, like a you know, like a in the office experience? Yeah, I mean, so again, I'm, like, I'm extremely fortunate that that I actually got to experience both of those things, like actually living and working in Silicon Valley and uh, doing the whole thing virtually. So those are like two completely different experiences that you really can't compare against each other. Because like YC yeah. was three months and Skydeck was like eight months. So uh, like living in Berkeley and like going to the office every day and, and like me having those in-person meetings, like that's an experience that I'll never ever forget. And like, it was just, yeah. it was super valuable. Uh, whereas YC was like, I mean, like being virtual, like there was a lot more stuff like, I mean, it was super intense. Like those three months were like ridiculously long. Like, especially me, like being in India at the moment uh, and like trying to do these meetings on PSD time, like basically uh, up 24 hours a day, like for three months straight. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, but that really helped us like get a lot of stuff done. So it was super intense. Like it's really, really hyper-focused on like, it's, it's literally like to the definition of the word accelerator. Like since the day you start YC and by the time you end, like you are guaranteed to make like a substantial amount of progress. And they kind of make sure like they really like these guys are experts in in making you in taking you along that path so um and so kind of had like it's had a completely different sort of like i think value proposition like it's it's usefulness to us like for example john the, the managing director of the skydeck fund he's this amazing individual that that's given us like a ton of advice that kind of got us to even apply to yc and like uh and stuff like that and, like we met a bunch of like really great advisors at skydeck we met uh i mean we got to raise funds from a whole bunch of like really well-known people and things like that so uh, I think like the value add from both of these different experiences were, were pretty different. And uh, again, if I, had, if I had the chance, I'd probably do both again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a couple more questions here, Prashant. Thanks, thanks again for the time here. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, you know, companies, running companies is pretty difficult, right? Um, I guess uh, when, when you know, you're, you're facing like these, these, these challenges internally or like externally, what, what do you say kept you motivated to, to persevere or like to, to, just uh, not give up. Uh, this is this is like, I mean, I think it's the first one is acceptance. Like it's it's definitely like over the over the last few years, you, you really like so both me myself and my co-founder have kind of really gotten. We've really accepted the fact that this is not easy, uh, and you just get really comfortable with being uncomfortable. That most times, like it's it's very like, we we have these discussions all the time about like like what we're we going to be doing like a year from now like is like we have a plan on like how things should be a year from now like how things should be in the future but it's almost always that like plans change and things go in a slightly different direction and and on a day-to-day -day basis these things change so it's really about like uh like that that's kind of the reason investors invest as well right like it, you basically got to have that you, the, the, having that mentality like super important and um like one of the things we learned during yc was also the fact that like it was it was pretty cool that this this interesting exercise when they kind of compared and contrasted like all of the successful YC companies versus the ones that weren't successful and and the reason why most of the companies that weren't successful was not because they ran out of money was not because they had supreme competition it was almost always because the founders gave up like they just wanted to do something else with yeah, their life or they sure. just got bored of doing it or whatever right so <laughs> I mean it's it basically comes down to staying for like do you really really 
really believe in like this idea that you're trying to there's this thing that you're trying to build and if you just think it like if you're trying to do it for like weird reasons like i want to make a ton of money or like i'm trying to get famous or like one of these like really altruistic i mean non-altruistic reasons you're probably i mean that's probably not a good sign yeah but for for, for you again the, the main reason you you created it was uh to solve this big like to solve just cross-border payments right is that the best way to explain that or say that yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and, and the second goes back like the history of like companies that were successful. Like if you look at all of these companies, it's, it's almost always because the founders who started the company that kind of experienced that problem themselves and like really felt a strong need to fix that problem. For sure. Yeah. I guess, uh, a quick question from my end. I mean, tell us about a time, I guess, in your younger life that you kind of knew that you were, you know, an entrepreneur or you wanted to take this path because it's, it's kind of a, unconventional path right for most people um typically you know growing up it's uh, it's it's not, not not everybody encourages to be a startup founder to be honest most people probably discourage you so i mean uh, you know how, when did you know or at least you know how do you think about that you you would have this path for you um how early did you realize that you were uh, an entrepreneur that, that's a really good question right like I, and i think at least for me, the answer is like, I didn't realize that I wanted to do this. It was like, I, I, it's more like I, I realized what I didn't want to do. So like very <laughs> early on, I, I kind of like, I, it was very clear to me that I, I did not want to end up being like another software engineer at a desk at like one of these big companies and just like slaving away for a massive paycheck or something. Um, and like, and like very early on in my life, I always kept doing stuff that was unconventional. Like, I mean, so my parents really wanted me to get good grades. Like this is like all the Indian parents stuff, right? Like you yeah. either become a doctor or a lawyer or, or an engineer and, and yeah. like, you get good grades. Yeah, exactly. So like I did that part of like, I mean, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to get you a good grades and keep you guys happy. But on the other <laughs> side, like I want to, I want to try to do all this crazy stuff. And like, I was, so I played the drums and I used to play in like these heavy metal bands and uh, like played tours across Europe and shit. So, I mean, that was like, like all this crazy phase of my life where I learned a ton about myself. And like this is when I really realized like, there's no way I can be constrained to a desk, and, like do one of these like crazy ass test jobs for the rest of my life. And, um, and I just happened to be working with a startup at the time as well. And, and like looking at that startup, I mean, that was like a super young startup, like from an idea. And today they're like a series B company. So like I got to see them grow from like day one to where they are today. And uh, that really inspired me. Like if these guys can do it, like I'm pretty sure I can do the same. I mean, like there's a lot of stuff I don't know, but uh, I think it's definitely worth the risk. And I ended up leaving university to do this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you you definitely do have an interesting background. I don't know too many people from India who uh, I guess study in Switzerland or like you know the European, right? Like, <laughs> or, or at least in my experience, but maybe it's common where you're from. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Not at all, actually. I mean, it's super common for like Indians to to all go to the. I mean, the, like the standard path of life, like for a successful Indian, is yeah, yeah. is it's like to get good grades in college in India and then like study at some US university, like do a master's there, and then like end up working at Google or Facebook or like one of these uh, massive companies, which is not bad by any means. I mean, that's like sure, two weeks sure. their own, and like that's good life for some people, but it's just not for everyone. Definitely, definitely get get you there. Um, so. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, we have a few minutes here um, left. And yeah, I'd love to kind of, you know, talk about like, you know, if you had to, you know, talk about your own startup mindset in, in kind of one to two sentences or lines, but what would that be? Um, and this is a question in particular that people are always excited about because, you know, it, it's hard to digest, but each one of these are, is very personal. So I'd love to hear your, your own startup mindset. Um, 
I think it's definitely like if, if I had to summarize it in one line, it's really like just being super comfortable with being uncomfortable. There's no other way to put it. Uh, there's definitely like if you think you have certainty, like if you think you have a product that's going to be that's going to make your company a billion dollar company, you're probably wrong about it. And and like really accepting the fact that you're going to be wrong a lot of the time and uh, and that's completely OK. And that's how you actually like build stuff, break stuff and you keep building stuff until you build a thing that's going to really, really stick. I mean, uh, and and. Uh, this was like kind of really, really drilled into me in effect, like seeing a lot of real world examples through my time at Skydeck and YC's particularly. And like the reason like why, why YC's tagline is like make something people want is super freaking true. Uh, at the end of the day, like if, if you're a, like, doesn't matter like what kind of idea you have, like or what kind of technology you have, like what kind of team you have at the end of the day, if you don't have the grit to build something that like a ton of people are using, whether it's companies or individuals, it's pretty useless and it's a waste of your time. So uh, and, and that really goes back to being really comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like a lot, I met a lot of founders again that kind of go against that thesis that just believe that their technology and their company is supreme to everything else and they're the best thing on the planet. And like everybody should be buying and like, those companies just go nowhere. Uh, at the end of the day, like it's, it's really about being completely uh, open to throwing away or like breaking stuff and like re-engineering stuff or like, like building new things all the time that, that eventually kind of turns into like you keep failing until you don't. That's, that's kind of the way I'll put it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> I guess a lot of a lot of people. I mean, this is basically the the notion of being an entrepreneur, right? Like, uh, you know, sometimes stability is not necessarily <laughs> the, the word, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, maybe my my final question here before I hand it over to Dan to wrap up is, you know, if you kind of transport yourself again back in time and you talk to your, you know, twenty year old self. Um, what advice would you give uh, your 20-year-old self uh, to develop uh, his own startup mindset and to follow or not follow the journey that you've gone through? Well, I, I guess the biggest piece of advice would have been to like, tell myself to start a company like way before, like way, way early on, like back when I was 20 itself. Like I should have <laughs> uh, spent just much. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be turning 27 soon and I feel really, really old. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a weird thing now, but... But yeah, like seven years can like really, really fly by you. Uh, so yeah, if there's one thing I would tell myself is probably like start like start your first company as early as you possibly can, like when you have nothing to lose and you can take all the risks in the world. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's that's a cool answer. Yeah, I think uh, starting early and and you know figuring out just like. Uh, what it's like at the younger age compared to like at the later age, it's, it's, it's a good advice. So that's good. Um, I think, I think that was about, about it for today. Um, how, how can people find last bit or like maybe learn, learn more about the company? Uh, so we have a website, it's called lastbit.io. Just head on over there if you want to try it out. And if you're European, you can actually play around with Bitcoin and cool internet money and do cool new things with it. But if you're not a European, just sign up and wait for it. Cool. Yeah. Thanks again, Prashant. I mean, it's been great catching up and lear learning more about last bit and uh, definitely lear learning about entrepreneurship from, uh, you know, this, this side of the, the uh, world is, is inter always interesting. No, for sure, man. I mean, th thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Prashant.